Welcome to CPP Chat, an N-weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. And now, matching our previous patterns, despite a few variants, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you, Phil. All the patterns on this podcast are free to use. You are allowed to sell products made from my patterns, but please clearly credit the design to us, CPP Chat, and provide a link to our website, CPP Chat. Permission is not granted for mass production or factory manufacturing of any kind. So, uh, welcome, David and Michael. Nice to have you here, or you. virtually here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I got to say, uh, regular uh, viewers will notice that I have a different background. I am speaking to you from the Gaylord Rockies, and I'm I am able to look out my balcony and see. Uh, I can see downtown Denver. I can see. Pikes Peak, and I can see uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. It is, it is a beautiful sight here. I think you guys should all come and join me. Yeah, we'll be there soon. Yeah, I'll definitely give it some consideration. Uh, yesterday, we got the delivery of uh, of the of the t-shirts. It was an entire UPS truck. There are forty five boxes of t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, things are pretty crazy here. Um, in fact, um, Phil had said, "John, are you sure you want to do a podcast right before the conference?" I said, oh, sure, no problem. I'm going to talk to David and Michael. Sure, of course. And you know, for the last couple of days, I said, "What was I thinking? What was I thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> so I got to wrap this up quick, guys. So let's get started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So as uh, as Phil hinted, I think we're going to talk about uh, pattern matching and variants. Is that right? That's what I was told. All right. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so who wants to kick this off? You want to talk, start, Michael, talk, us, talk to us about, um, are you going to talk about your talk at CPPCon or uh, is this a sure. separate thing? Yeah, we can definitely mention uh, the talk. Uh, the, well, so just for initial reference uh, of the pattern matching paper, the number is P1371R1. Um, and so people can find the link to that. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be giving the uh, uh, pattern matching talk uh, next week at CPPCon. Uh, I believe it's on Wednesday. Um, yeah, it's uh, mostly will be similar to the talk that I gave at C++ Now, but it'll be a bit trimmed down and uh, probably, uh, well, not probably, I'll be discussing some of the uh, design changes that were made in uh, Revision 1 compared to Revision 0. And so look forward to that. Yeah, so in terms of kind of the overview of, uh, you know, a uh, 10-second summary of what pattern matching is, um, it basically gives you the ability to inspect your values uh, in a more declarative way. So rather than rather than having some value and going through uh, a bunch of if-else if switches, if-else statements to lay out your Boolean conditions to look inside those values explicitly, you basically describe the shape of the value that you're looking for, uh, and and say, I want to I want to execute these statements if this pattern matches, right? So rather than saying, for example, having a point class uh, and an instance called p, rather than saying p dot x equal equals zero and p dot y equal equals zero, you would just say match p with zero comma zero and see if that pattern matches, right? So you're describing your values as opposed to uh, as opposed to inspecting them explicitly. Are you telling the compiler at that point to create a temporary with that constructor values? You're constructing a temporary for it to compare? No. There are no, there are no copies or temporaries being constructed. Uh, the, the, the patterns themselves only describe uh, the conditions, basically. It's a, it's a more compact form of the conditions. So you can, you can think of it as kind of, um, if you look at, like, you know, five lines of code of trying to inspect the, the shape of a string, right? You would, you would do stuff like first of something, and then once you find that first thing, then you want to like get the iterator to that and start doing more operations after that. So all, all of these become a sequence of conditions that you execute to try to find out what this string shape looks like. The alternative to do that is to describe your pattern in a regex, right? You describe what your string wants to what, what you want your string to look like, and then you just test for a match. 
and also specify the captures if you want portions of that batch uh, in a string. Right, so it's a it's a it's a similar similar analogy in that rather than explicitly testing for the conditions that you're looking for in a sequential sequential manner, uh, you just you you declaratively specify the shape that you're looking for and just say, all right, go go match this thing, and see if it matches. Uh, so that's the idea, and uh, and and that gives and that provides the power to uh, really cleanly describe you know your uh, uh, your selection statements compared to what we have today. So that there are a couple um, like examples that, that really hit home for people where pattern matching comes comes into play. Because um, mm -hmm. it solves, solves several issues. Um, like, for example, if you, like, I don't know if you've ever felt the frustration of you have an enum and you want to switch on it, but you can't do that in an expression, right? Switches always have to be statements. So a lot of times if you want to, you know, not necessarily do some imperative thing for each you know case of the enum, but you just want to do some kind of calculation, and you'd love it if you could have const int i equals some switch, and then have expressions in each one of those cases. So you can't do that today, and it's extremely frustrating, especially if you love you know functional programming style and, and keeping things constant, removing the possibility of errors. So uh, this pattern matching allows you to do that, right? So that's that's one of the common things and, and like the other common one uh which kind of you know started this conversation or was like a very important part of this conversation is uh, uh of pattern matching happening in the committee is variant because mm -hmm. if you so a lot of people love variant it's like hey you should be using variant like all over the place it's it's such a better way to model uh whatever kind of problems you have with types use variant use variant and then you get to where you need to uh you know, do the inspect of a variant. You need to break it up into its individual cases, and it's just kind of horrific. And people who love variant, they're willing to go through that, right? And so, like a, a common pattern that people use them, you make a separate class and a bunch of operate operator call operator overloads for each of your alternatives in your variant. Um, and people who love variant, they'll like, yeah, it sucks, but you know, hey, you know, at least I, I can model my type right. Mm -hmm. And pattern matching. Makes it so this doesn't have to be a separate class. It's 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 in the the code. It can be in an expression. It's what you would expect, especially if you come from a functional programming language or other language with pattern matching. It's just you put that stuff in line, and you don't have to go through this extra C plus plus, you know, machinery that feels really <laughs> C plus plus. <laughs> that's that's the luxurious C plus plus. C plus plus plus. <laughs> that C++ with pattern matching becomes C++. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, ter yeah, so yeah, in terms yeah. of the variant stuff, that, that stuff is actually uh, very painful today. Like I, I, I've caught some uh, discussions on Slack where people are literally asking, like, how, at what point would you start considering using variant? And answer, the question is like, okay, why are you even questioning that? And the answer is usually because, well, SidVisit is which is the interface that you use to interact with variant right. is very complex. Right. Syntactically very complex. I don't know that it's semantically complex. It's simple what you're trying to do, but you have to write a lot of crap to get there, right? It depends how much of the machinery you can look past, uh, <laughs> how much of it you can ignore, right? Because there's a lot of machinery involved and you have to ignore, like look, learn to ignore that. And of course that means you could mistype something, you could have cut and paste error, you know. It's... Yeah. When there's a lot of machinery, there's a lot of possibility for yes. the machine to go wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, fortunately, with the variant case, the going wrong means a compile error. Yes. More yeah. likely than like a runtime error. Mm -hmm. in, in most cases, probably. It's probably hard to, to get that wrong and still have it compile. Deciphering those messages is a different... <laughs> yeah. Figuring out what went wrong when something <laughs> went wrong. Right? Yeah. Well, if you use a visitor, it's compile time checked. But if you're just doing a sequence of if statements, you can check the type, and then you can actually try and pull out a different type. And that won't be checked at compile time. That's right. So linking those two things in a single operation yep. saves you from, from that possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Ramey in the chat, as ever, was um, <laughs> criticizing the, the, this whole thing. Oh. But he's, he's just wondering what the difference is, really, between just a chain of if statements. Is it just syntactic sugar? Yeah, Essentially. Yeah, I mean, just like C++ is syntactic sugar for C. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there is there's a lot to be said about syntactic sugar, though. 
isn't uh, isn't that true of all lambdas? I mean, lambdas really are just yeah. sugar, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do with a lambda that you can't write on your own. Yeah, I, I did this once as a mental exercise because one of the things that you can do with lambdas is if it's stateless, you can convert it to a pointer to a function. I thought, well, can you write that yourself? And I actually figured out, yeah, you can. You can have your functionality in a static function, call that in the object, and then return a pointer to it. So, you know, with a conversion up. So, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> so, if whatever a Lambda can do, you can write code to do. There's no magic. Uh, Robert was also following up in the chat, and I see Michael's responded to him, but it might be worth bringing it up here because he asked if there was a library solution that we could actually look at to to get some some sort of proof of concept. Do you know anything about that, Michael? Uh, yeah, so I just shared the link uh, to my to my repo, uh, github.com slash mpark slash patterns. Uh, that's the that's the experimental library that I had written uh, to to get some design insights as to how pattern matching should look in C++. And, right. uh, and previous that is the mock summit library. Uh, with right. The artist. So, like as a library solution, this has been around for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, do people use it? Uh, I'm not. I'm not certain that people use it, or I would Too recommend. It. But it certainly showed that if we want this, it needs to not be a library solution, right? It really, we really need to have this baked into the language, and I think that's the conclusion that the committee has come to, like pretty strongly at this point. Yeah. Personally, I'll say the same thing about variant, but. Um... Maybe that's a topic for another time. Or maybe not. Should we talk about variant as part of the language? Sure. <laughs> um, so that's that's actually the original context that uh, this came up in uh, when, uh, when I got involved in pattern matching. So there was a big uh, discussion about variant and what's the right variant for the standard library. There were a lot of different opinions there. Uh, Nevin Lieber gave a fantastic talk about this at C++ Now, which I will definitely plug. It's, it's awesome if you want to see how the inner workings of the committee is. Uh, but but you don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. It's how the, it's how the sausage gets made, right? Oh, oh right. <laughs> um, it, it's worthwhile. He, put, he doesn't show the most ugly parts of the sausage, I guess. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, it, so basically, one of the proposals that I had at that in the, in one of these meetings was we really don't want a language-based variant. Uh, what we really want, uh, we really don't, we really want a language-based variant. We don't want a library <laughs> variant. If we look at the most common use cases um, and, and how variant is being used, uh, usually the different type names uh, of the alternatives that you put inside of a variant, they're just tags, right? That They're not really types in their own right. You wouldn't create an instance of these types. It's more along the lines of what you would see in a struct in a field name, right? You you wouldn't want to have have to make a different type for every field name in a struct. And if you look at uh, at some of the examples, it really just kind of shows that we kind of want a language-based variant. And so if you have a language-based variant, you definitely need some kind of pattern matching to, to inspect it. And so the language-based variant and the pattern matching uh, – uh, and also an opt-in, were all combined into one proposal. And uh, that that happened several years ago, and that was right before uh, we voted variant into the um, And so the, that got broken up into three different parts. One line, of, one line of thought is the pattern matching, one line of thought is the language-based variant, and the other line of thought is um, uh, an easier opt-in framework if you want to say you have one of these some types that, that that you would like to be able to pattern match on and so on. And what are the, what's the state of those? Are they all advancing? Uh, yeah. So the the pattern matching is is the most advanced. Um, and Michael and I, we've been working on, on this uh, along with a couple of other folks at Bloomberg uh, to, to advance this forward. Uh, and it's gotten pretty far through the committee at this point. It's an evolution working group. The language-based variant uh, had our initial view in EWG uh, Way, way back in the day. It's now an EWGI uh, going back and forth on that. and, uh, and but, but basically, all of this is kind of predicated on the pattern matching. The pattern matching needs to come first, and then these other pieces can um, come into the picture. Because a language-based variant that you can't do pattern matching on is not really going to be very useful to you. Exactly. You can basically spell use and... <laughs> right. You, there's no way to visit it. There's no way to inspect. Right. Well... Um, uh, do you feel like 
the pattern matching makes sense if we don't do the language variant. Absolutely. Yes. yes. It still makes sense even even for even for a library based variant. It makes sense to do the pattern matching. and 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 every other thing in C plus plus. Like literally, literally every type. Maybe not literally every type, but most of the most of the types that actually represent values, uh, we can use pattern matching to inspect them in a clean way. I mean, one of the things that's fun about this feature um, that may be different than, for example, concepts, is that this is going to impact every single developer. Um, you will in new code, you are going to see this pattern matching in almost every single CPP file uh, because it is useful in so many different contexts. I do a TDD course, last did it just uh, last week in, in Oslo. I'm going to do it again next week. And one of the examples I work through is this um, version of a Snakes and Adders game. And there's a bit in there where I just need to represent, well, I need to return an object that could be in one of several modes. And depending on which mode it is, it'll have different data associated with it. And because of the, the scale of this example, I'll just take the simplest direction, which is just to add all the possible values into a class, put along with an enum. Hmm. But as I'm doing it, I make the point that if we had a proper language level variant and, and pattern matching in the language, mm -hmm. we could do this much simpler, much more cleanly. And in fact, I'd use exactly the same example in uh, Swift, which does have exactly those things, mm -hmm. and it is much nicer. So it, it is really a case of what you reach for first rather than what's possible in the language. There are different ways to solve the same problems, mm -hmm. but the, the, the one that's cleanest and, and most expressive is, is the one that you, you really want. So there's a question that Rami brought up that I that I think is probably worth addressing. Uh, the question was, what will the built-in solution do that the library solution uh, can't do? And if you look at some of the examples uh, that are written with the library solution, it's virtually unreadable. Uh, and the reason is because there's no syntactic difference between all of the different types of patterns. And so it ends up just being nested function calls, and you're left to decipher what all of these different names mean. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, like, go take a look at some of the examples which uh, in the library solutions, which was good for experimental purposes, but... If you actually were to try to read that code, it's 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 very difficult. Um, the second thing is there are, there are opportunities that are available to us as a language solution that aren't as a library solution. For example, um, destructuring uh, destructuring tuples, right? So we can construct tuples, uh, or sorry, uh, we can construct <laughs> we can construct structs uh, with designated initializers these days. Uh, in, at least in 20, where you can say, if you have members foo and bar, you can construct it by saying dot foo equals something, comma, dot bar equals something, right? Which is very nice. And then on the other side, when we go to destruct, uh, uh, destructure it, uh, with pattern matching, what, we, what we're proposing is to allow putting dot foo and dot bar uh, to extract specific parts of a struct, right? That kind of, that kind of syntax um, and readability we don't we, we don't really have the opportunity to uh, to support a library solution, and so and so I think in terms of usability, uh, it really has to be a language a language uh, solution because of these. Generally types. speaking, before I'd want to see something in in the language, I'd want to see a lot of library work. Has there been enough of that? Are we confident that we've yeah got the syntax right? Because it's a lot easier to change the library than to change the language if you don't yeah. get it right. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to convince myself when I wrote the library is like, like I have some library chops. Let me really see if I can get something that really like works, right? And I, I, as far as like my skills go, I, I can't. I don't see how we can do much better uh, than than what I actually came up with in the library. It like because the previous so 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 there have been several attempts. Right. The first one uh, that I that I know of with uh, that Yuri, uh, Bjarna, and Gabby worked on was to use macros, and that's biggest reason why people don't use that. Um, so my library doesn't have macros, but still, when you read when you try to read through the patterns, it's it's very difficult. 
And I think I think having special syntax support for different patterns is going to be uh, very important for readability. And one thing that's nice is that pattern matching is not new to C++. There are a lot of languages out there. Uh, oh, pattern matching is new to C++, but not new to programming languages, right? So there's a lot of pattern matching functionality in various languages out there. Um, and we and we've seen what works and what doesn't work in the decisions that they've made and uh, and trying and we tried to tie that into uh, what we think would work well with C++ and the way that they approach problems and, and fit in the language as it is. Um, and I think that the design that we came to is something that um, that strikes a really nice balance of integrating well with C++. It'll feel like it's always been there. It's not like some weird thing that just kind of got tacked on the side. Um, and but you, you get the expressive power that you need for uh, the most common use cases and even some uncommon use cases uh, that you, you have what you need. Um, so I, I'd recommend checking out the, the proposal. Um, it's, it's really, it's, it's intended to be easy to read. There are a lot of examples in there and uh, you can kind of get the sense of, of like how, the, how we came to this conclusion uh, of, of the ultimate design that we're proposing. Yeah, I don't think there are any other languages that have pattern matching that also have the distinction between value types, pointers, and references that we have in C++, which is where a lot of the complexity comes from. I think even Rust, um, it, it sort of boils away to almost nothing. And I think that that's where a lot of your decisions have been evolving over the time as well. Is there anything you can say about that? I mean, so, so probably like the most... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, like, like important decision with regard to that was with relation to what do we do with pointers? Because pointers are so ubiquitous with C++ um, that you want to have a pattern that you can use to get on the inside of a pointer and apply a pattern to the thing that it points to. And, uh, you know, on one side, there were a lot of arguments of the purity of like, hey, you know, why do we need a special syntax for pointers? But then the other side of the argument is, well, this is C++. If you want to have a type, which is a recursive type, like a, I don't know, like a, like a node type in a tree that has two pointers to other nodes. Um, you have to do that with pointers to C++. So not being able to support matching on the normal way that we would express trees in C++ would be um, like really unfortunate. So that's why like the design kind of like caters uh, in, in that respect towards C++, but it's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I think uh, walking a tree structure using pattern matching is like the hello world of, of pattern matching examples. So the fact that once again... <laughs> C++ gets stuck on Hello World is uh, is significant here. <laughs> so, uh, like, what? So, whenever it comes up, people frequently ask about this pointer pattern. Like, we don't need it, and so we have one particular example in the proposal, which is red black tree rebalancing. And if they have any kind of question about it, just say, "Look at that example," uh, because you can express red black tree uh, rebalancing in such a compact and expressive way with pattern matching, if you were to do it without it, it's just like absolutely hideous. You lose complete context of what's going on. And of course, people will then say, yeah, but nobody has to write their own red-black trees these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've done it twice in C++ and at least once in a language with pattern matching. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. Nice. One of the, um, well, back up a bit. I, uh, I saw you presenting mm-hmm. your pattern matching proposal in uh, San Diego the first time. Mm-hmm. And there were some aspects of the syntax that, uh, overall, it seemed really nice, really nicely done. Thank you. But there were some aspects of the syntax of, that I really couldn't get behind. Okay. And I think you significantly changed exactly those those things uh, for Cologne. I didn't see you in, uh, in Kona. Um, and that was particularly to do with how you distinguish between identifiers and uh, binding existing names, if I remember rightly. Yes, um, that's correct. It's obviously a little bit hard to talk about it without the, the text, but is there anything you can say about that? Because I know some people saw the, the oldest syntax. Yeah. So, yeah, this is something that I'll cover next week uh, in the talk. But in short, the... Okay, so the core of the issue basically is when you have an identifier inside of a pattern, does that identifier mean that it's a new identifier or is it referring to an existing identifier, whether that be a variable or type or whatever? Um so before what we had, the, the syntax that you, that, you, that you were mentioning you didn't like, Phil, was the caret syntax, yep. right? So we had caret followed by expression. 
And so if you had caret x, then the x meant that it was an, it was an existing variable. Uh, if you just said x, then it was a new variable. Um, and the whole point of trying to put a disambiguator there was because we wanted patterns that maybe look like expressions, right? So like we wanted the room to be able to later introduce one bar two as a pattern that says match one or two, right? Not perform, not perform uh, bitwise or and then match the result of that. And so that was the room that we were trying to, you know, carve out. And funnily enough, when we went to Kona with the patterns that looked like looked kind of like expressions, every one of those on separate occasions was shot down and said, "This is very confusing. This looks like an expression. This is doing something different. Why are we doing this?" And so and so we said, "Okay, well, if we're not going to want patterns that look like expressions anyway, then let's just not worry about carving this out." And we'll just do something different for patterns. So now the design is to say, if you have, uh, if you say, oh, and the other thing is, if you look at a simple simple case, right? So say like inspect a, uh, uh, enum, enum, and let's say we have like carrot red, carrot green, colon stuff, right? Um, every time I show this example, I have to explain to people what the carrot does. So now uh, what you can say is case red colon stuff and case green colon stuff. And so the way it works is uh, there's a case pattern where you can say case followed by a pattern. And any identifier that appears in that pattern is an existing identifier. And so in the simplest case, if the pattern happens to be just an identifier, in the case of red and green, for example, then you can just say case red colon stuff. And that means the enum that you had above. And so that like that example, I don't have to explain ever, right? I just show it to people and they're like, okay, I see what, you, I see what this is doing. Um, and without the case uh, is when you would introduce a new name. And so if you were to just say a red colon without the case, then that would actually introduce a new variable, not, not, not a variable, sorry, a new binding um, that binds to the, to the value that you're matching. And so that's how we've gone uh, to, to distinguish between patterns and expressions, uh, where patterns will just have different syntax and expressions, and we're left to disambiguate identifiers. And identifiers are disambiguated by, uh, by either being within a case or a let. And so you can also say let red colon stuff. And so red there is a new identifier. Uh, and at the top level, let is implicit. And so that's why you can also say red colon stuff, and that'll be an implicit let. And so it's a bit hard to describe without examples. It would be much clearer with examples, but I hope uh, I hope that clarified a little bit. <laughs> well, obviously, I need to go to your talk to see the examples. Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. I gotta say that like, yeah. This, yeah. this design that we ultimately ended up with uh, we went back and forth quite a bit. I think it's like super elegant. It integrates really well with the language. Uh, you'll, you'll see the harmony with switch statements right away with it. Um, but we kind of came to this conclusion, like the night of the mailing deadline. <laughs> and, and I didn't think we were going to be able to get this in time, but Michael's like, I think I can do this. <laughs> and, and he did, and it, and it came out really well. So um, thanks, Michael. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, so that was a that was a wild night. That was <laughs> late late night, but uh, but I'm pretty happy with where we are now. Yeah. Sometimes those artificial deadlines create magic. That yeah. you know something has to happen and it has to be simple, yeah. and and it kind of has to be simple and elegant because we don't have time to do something complicated. So you got to think about a way to make this work. Um, unfortunately, it also causes people to do stuff that is not good. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, so it's not always <laughs> it's not always great, but when, it, but when it's great, yeah. then we can all celebrate it. Um, so, uh, so you're going to talk about this um, here next week. Uh, yes. What are you going to be talking about, David? So I'm actually not going to CVPCon this year. What? Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> well, 
my wife for one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I will definitely be there next year. Um, but cause I, I looked at the lineups, some of the people on my team are coming and they, they, they sat down with me and said, Hey, like, Hey, you know, what talk should we go to? And we went through the whole agenda and it's, it's just an awesome lineup. Um, like I'm super excited for everybody who's going to this conference. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it is a, it's pretty tough to, to do your personal schedule, which is what we of course encourage everybody to do, but, but it's not going to be, you know, what, what, um, I sent out an email to all the attendees and I said, uh, follow Kate's recommendation. And she says, you know, pick your schedule and always pick a backup because if you're sitting in there and the first couple of minutes you realize this isn't really what I thought it was, then you know already where your alternative is. But the hard part is not picking two. The hard part is, is picking only two, right? Because there's a, there's just a lot of good sessions going on. I was asking somebody last night at dinner about when their session was, and I, I just pulled it up on my phone, and I was going through the app, and it's like, oh, wow, you're really up against it, aren't you? <laughs> and it's like, um, but that's just, you know, every hour, there's there's really good talks on a lot of exciting stuff uh, going on. And, and it's a, I was looking, one of the things that I was looking at is kind of the diversity in kinds of talks. I mean, there are people talking about new features, but there's also people talking about essentially, you know, case studies of, well, we tried to do this and, and how this worked out. And there's people who are talking about, you know, one of the tracks we have is this back to basics where people are basically saying, well, here's what you need to know about, and then fill in the blank. Here's what you need to know about exceptions. Here's what you need to know about, in my case, I'm doing a talk on object-oriented programming, which um, was kind of a tough sell to get people to think we need to talk about object-oriented programming because that's just so 90s. It is not the cool kids' new stuff. Uh, none of the cool kids are talking about object-oriented programming. But I know from my training work that the vast majority of people out there are are supporting legacy uh, applications and doing object-oriented programming. And if we're not talking about how to do that right, and it's, it's not new stuff, right? I mean, this is, uh, I, in my talk, I reference uh, Scott's books and Herb and Andre's books that, you know, I'm not, I'm not rolling out any new great insight. But if we, if we don't talk about it, then as people come along and, and have to relearn things the hard way rather than us saying, well, this is kind of guiding principles. Uh, but, uh, but there's all sorts of different talks. Some of them are uh, how best to apply the new features. And then some are, are focused on the features themselves. And uh, so kind of it depends on uh, how much community understanding of a feature is and, and uh, where we're at in terms of best practices on those things. So, and, you know, in an awful lot of cases, the talks are by the people who are authors of the features, which gives gives an interesting insight and, and an opportunity to ask questions that you that someone describing how a feature is in the standard, you can't say, well, why didn't you do this to that person? Because, right. well, I'm sure they thought of it, yeah. and I'm sure there's a good reason, but I don't know what that is. Uh-huh. Right? But if you have the author there, you can say, and then they can say, well, you know, actually, at one point we did go down that road, and here's why it doesn't seem to work out. Those are the kinds of insights that um, often don't get documented but are really insightful when you're, when you can ask the question and get that response from a live person uh, because, yeah. you know, I mean, people don't always want to document all the blind alleys and say, well, you know, we went down this, it didn't really work out. But when you ask, you say, well, that seems obvious to me. You'd do this. And it's like, well, yeah, it is obvious and it works really well until you get to this situation. And then, no, you don't want to be there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I, I must say, John, like with your object oriented talk, when I saw that, I saw the title first and I was like, Mm, probably not too interesting. And then I saw your name and I was like, Hey, you guys should go check out this talk. (laughs) (laughs) It does remind me of a talk that, um, uh, Walter Brown did, um, in, uh, in Rappersville, um, after one of the WG 21 meetings there. So we had the whole of the standards committee, the C++ standards committee going to this talk on templates or function templates. Mm -hmm. And that was all it was about from basics. And you could see a lot of people at the start of the talk thinking, yeah, I'm not going to learn anything from this. And by the end, everyone was saying, well, I actually learned something from that. And yeah. just, just couldn't, couldn't believe that they, they could get something from a, really a back-to-basics talk. Yeah. 
being pitched to the standards committee to the standards committee yeah well you know i'm i've learned a long time ago that i can go to a talk that is something that i oh i know that and and sometimes i will even come out of it not being able to tell you one new thing i learned but instead saying well what i got an appreciation for is a new way of looking at it and a new way of thinking about it altogether and a lot of times that's what you get it's it's not that there's some fact that you oh i didn't know the compiler does it that way mm. it's not that what it is is oh i never really thought about it that way but yeah and if you think about it that way you can reason about your code in a different yeah. way i i think i have great hopes for for the back to basics tracks in fact i noticed that some of them are going to be in some of our bigger rooms because because they're they're kind of popular um and and i really I really think that I mean I don't I don't want to get away from absolutely we want to talk about things like pattern matching and things that are not quite here yet and let's get a discussion about it let's get ideas about it let's make sure that it makes sense and build um uh you know build some acceptance for it we should absolutely do that with new stuff but we should not ignore the fact that the vast majority of people out there who are C++ programmers are not living in the future. They're living in the past and they can be in a lot of pain if they're not following best practices. And if we've got some best practice that's sitting in a Scott Myers book that nobody's looking at because it's pre C++ 11, that's not doing anybody any good. Right. So that's why I dredged up for my talk, but, but there's, Thanks, but the others back to back other back to basics that are not as old. They're, they're looking at, at some modern stuff, but again, looking at it in terms of, you know, here's the back to basics on move semantics. And, you know, we've all heard move semantics a million times and it's all been done to death, but to get a nice fresh perspective of this is, this is what you really need to know. It's not the esoteric stuff. It's what you really need to know. I think that's going to be really beneficial. And so, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And um, now the question. I remember. Sorry, I was I was gonna say. Remember the the future stuff all always relates back to the old stuff. So you know, in in related to your object oriented stuff, like pattern matching will work with object oriented things, right? It's one of the important cases that we need to support because it's already in the language and people are using it a lot. And so, um, being able to match on a base class and you know specify your derived classes as your cases is one of the cases that are one of the patterns that are supported. So it'll be relevant. That is, yeah, that is, that is interesting. It's very interesting to think about that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it offers a, a whole new type of uh, polymorphism, which is not V-table-based. Does it? Yeah, well, that, that's really what a variant, and particularly if we get a language level variant, that's what that, that gives us, is uh, the way to represent objects that can be in, in different types of state that you can then have different behavior attached to. And it's just flipped around from the from the V-table based approach where you have oh, to yeah. always implement every method for, for every derived class. Right. Um and in this this way around you separate the operations from the state, but it's yep. it's still polymorphism. Yep. Yeah. Right. I think right. I'm really full on this pitch of the back to basics. That's uh I mean that, that makes so much sense, right? Not just to uh, you know help out people that are out there, but to broaden our community outreach. Right. We wanna we wanna get a broad uh, audience of C++ developers get new C++ developers into the community and if we don't have a path for that to happen then it's not and you know the C++ mm-hmm. community will just age out mm-hmm. um, so yeah I applaud this this effort I think it's a great right. idea yeah. yeah we had somebody on the on the you know there's a slack specifically for attendees and somebody was saying well my plan is to just go to all the basic, back to basics tracks or all the back to basic section sessions mm-hmm. and you know, I said, well, that's great, but please at least look at all the sessions because you don't want to find out afterwards that there was this one session that people were talking about afterwards. It's all if I'd known, right? So do take the time and look at everything. And there's nothing wrong. I think, right. you know, the, the back to basics track was envisioned as exactly that. For certain people, that's what that's what they need. That's going to work really well for them. So I'm certainly not saying, oh, whatever you do, don't do that. But don't close your mind to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do, do, yeah, do look at, it, at the alternatives. And I think that, right. that there's a lot of people who will look exactly that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious about how it's going to be received and how we're going to do it next year. Are we going to kind of repeat the same sets of things? I, I don't know. We're going to have to see. We'll see how it's uh, how it's received. And maybe what we'll do is um, 
will have the exact same thing. Here's back to basics on exceptions, but it's done by somebody else, and you get their point of view on it. Because you know, one of the things about the back to basics track is we, I, you know, I pitched this as an idea mostly to people who were our instructors for the the pre-conference and post-conference classes. Now, it's not exclusively to that, but that's who a lot of it was directed to because that's essentially what instruction is, right? I mean, it's kind of, you know, as instructors, we talk about new features and all these kinds of things, but we're really saying this is this is how you write code. You know, this is the whole picture. And so there's a lot of back-to-basicsness in, in, in training materials in general. And so that's where we worked at. And, right. yeah. you know, in fact, as the different instructors were talking about that, there were a lot of people who were like, well, yeah, I... I kind of could do that. Oh, no, no. Well, you do that one, and then I'll do this one. You know. So it might very well be that we do the exact same topics next year, but they're given by a different instructor. And it might be a completely different session, and you're going to get something special out of it. So maybe that's the direction it'll be. I, I don't know. We haven't – we'll have to see how, how it's all accepted. But, um, but I'm really excited about the, yeah. the approach because, um, because I think there's, there's a lot of people out there who we are reaching through videos more than really than showing up – at conferences, yeah, and we need to think about how best to serve them. And, yeah, um, yeah, you can stress over that in about ten days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what else do we want to cover? Well, we actually have quite a few news items that have been building oh, up that's because right. we've been missing them for the last uh, few episodes. Okay. Um, I don't know if we want to get through them all now. Some of them may be a little bit stale. Uh, for example, I wanted to point out that the uh, the post clone mailing is out, but that's um, that's at least a month ago now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, we've, we've actually been covering some of the mm-hmm. some of the proposals from there. Uh, John, do, do you have any more about CPPCon that you wanted to announce? I know this probably won't come out before it starts, but um, right. Well, uh, uh, Tool Time is is the announcement that is just most recently. Uh, we're repeating what we did last year, which is an opportunity for people to have. I think of it as kind of. You know, we have exhibitors, but those are people who, in, for the most part, are making money selling a tool. Some of our exhibitors are actually doing recruiting kind of stuff, so other than that. But, but for people who are talking about tools, uh, we're talking about people selling tools, and they'll, they'll get a table or a booth, and that's great. But there are people who I feel like, and I was basically thinking about this in terms of, if I had a question about how do I set up continuous integration, we don't really have a vendor that's selling continuous integration. What I would like is to talk to somebody who's done this and got you know, is wants to be a Jenkins champion or, uh, you know, some kind of tool that does this. And so that's why we said anybody who is willing to champion some tool for one session and it's informal, you don't have to give a presentation. What, what happens is, um, we just have a bunch of tables out there and people will come along and say, well, yeah, I have some questions about CMake or Jenkins or whatever the tool is. Uh, and so that's what it's, uh, that's what that's what it's about. And how many people did we have last year, Phil? It was about was it on the order of a couple dozen? Uh, I think not even that. I'd say closer to a dozen different tools. Yeah, uh, yeah separate yeah. tables. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we've so we've got interest again. I'm not sure what the number is, but it's on the order of that at least. That's good. I think the last time I looked at it, there were nine. Uh, so um, and we've still got that's going to be on Tuesday night. So that's one thing we want to announce. Um, I think the other things that are, uh, like you say, by the time this goes up, they will have been old. We have a book from Nico Jositis that we're giving, or Eusitis, I should say, um, that we're that we are giving a free download to all attendees, um, and uh, we also have a uh, that's for his C plus plus seventeen standard book, and then um, mm-hmm. uh, Bartek, uh, what's his last name? Um, starts with an F. I know his last name. Um, but he's Philippeck? yes, and he's written C plus plus seventeen in depth is the name of his, and he is. We're going to have some of his books to sell, but we're also going to have a a, a special offer that's not quite a giveaway, cool. but a really really generous offer that he has given for people buying his electronic book. So, um, so we've got some good things for attendees. Cool. There's going to be a few surprises. Awesome. Speaking of booths, there's one booth which I'm super excited about. <laughs> And that's the Bloomberg booth. <laughs> so if anybody would like to come and check out the Bloomberg booth, we're going to have engineers there uh, the entire time, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, to talk about 
like the things that Bloomberg does um, and like the various positions we have available. We got like awesome stuff going on here. So just saying, since you brought up booths, I, I figured I'd uh, slip that one in there. <laughs> well, I should tell people, you know, um, people who have never seen a Bloomberg terminal. So my, my bachelor's degree is in finance. So for me, a Bloomberg terminal when I was in school, that would have been the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> you know, take that back long before that was possible. But but the ability to sit at a Bloomberg terminal and just call up amazing financial information and then and then slice it and dice it in just the most incredible ways. Um, that's just that's just an amazing toy to play with. And um, and then you know to be programming in that world, we have you know access to all that kind of stuff. Um, pretty cool and uh, i guess you can go to the bloomberg uh booth to see the terminal and then talk about playing in that world <laughs> you should definitely cool. check out the bloomberg booth and uh, many of the other booths on your way to the jack brains <laughs> i will be running some uh, some jack uh, some demos on the jack brains booth next week so come along to see those we're also going to run a quiz Cool. And we're going to announce the, the winners of that and giveaway prizes during the, I believe we said the Thursday morning uh, recording of CPP Chat. Yeah, should we up. tease them about the what we're planning to do, what CPP Chat's going to do at the conference? Should we tease them? Should we announce it? What should we do? Yeah, do, did you put it in the schedule yet? Uh, I don't have any names in the schedule. Okay, then. I just then have I a session. We're going to do a session on Thursday morning and a session on Friday morning. So we'll do a live audience session for CPP Chat. Yeah, we, we couldn't find anyone particularly high profile, so we had to settle for <laughs> Andre Alexandrescu and Herb Satter on Thursday. And then on, on Friday, we're going to have Sean Parent. Right. So well, hopefully they'll be, they'll be up to the job. This will tide us over until we can get some big names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you come along on Thursday morning in particular, we'll, we'll announce the winners of the, the JetBrains quiz. So what kind of quiz is it? Uh, as far as I know, because I haven't looked at it myself, it's um, this is one of our C++ um, brain teaser type quizzes. Right. The kind of thing that if you had your ID, it could tell you the answer real easy. Well, that's that's something you can try out. <laughs> or if you have Richard Smith with you. Or if you have uh, that, 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 that would be cheating. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad we can't all just have our own little Richard Smith. <laughs> <laughs> There's a title there. There's a title there. That's right. That's right. So, so have you guys heard of uh, Circle Lang? I have not. I don't think so. So Tell there's a so there's a there's a tweet that was shared in the in the in the Slack uh, chat about a guy named Sean Baxter who actually told uh, Dave and I about his implementation of Circle Lang, which, as far as I understand, is like extensions to c++ and so he implemented basically like all of c++ uh standard c++ up to 17 and he's adding a bunch of different like features on top of it and he's planning to implement like official c20 and, and everything uh and he implemented a prototype of pattern matching as like roughly as as we proposed um and so you can see like an example of what he uh, what he did in Circle Lang, uh, which is looks pretty good. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this? Is this is somebody implementing a C plus plus compiler as a hobby? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I don't know about hobby. I don't know, but he's uh, he seems to be doing it alone. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> What? Uh, I, I was reading the email. I'm like, sorry, you're doing what now? <laughs> uh, so yeah. you guys definitely should have him on the show. Um, it, it, the way he described this project is this is all the C++ 30 features, but right now. Like he's got right. full reflection. I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's done with this thing. So maybe we can, maybe we can get him on before uh, Rob and Jason for a change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's 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 reach out to him and find out what he's doing because I always want to give a, a microphone to people doing crazy things, and this sounds like a pretty crazy <laughs> thing. In any case, I'll I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. All right. Well, um, was there another news item that we want to talk about, Phil? 
Um, there, there are actually a couple more. Oh yeah, let's do those then. Um, one was because uh, in the last episode with uh, Patricia Oos, um, oh, we talked about her uh, her keynote, and uh, as I pushed her episode online this morning, uh, the, the keynote came online as well. So I've added that to the show notes retrospectively to uh, to her episode, but I'll add it to this one again so uh, so you can go and see that. Um, and another thing we've been putting off for a while, well, not putting off, but we're just not getting to it, was I just wanted to mention that um, we had a, a ReSharp C++ release um, over a month ago now. <laughs> and that has a load of extra C++ 20 features supported in it. So if you're doing C++, any C++ 20 work, then that'll be worth checking out. And you can drop by the JetBrains booth to uh, ask them questions about <laughs> that. That goes without saying. Um, there's also got enhanced Unreal Engine support. So again, if that's something you're involved with then check that out and of course in all the usual improvements and performance boosts and things like that so uh yeah wanted to get that out but just before we get to the next release (laughs) yeah that's right stay on top of those wait phil so what is resharper like what does it mean to have more c20 support okay yeah so resharper c++ is a plugin for visual studio which gives it extra IntelliSense features, uh, code navigation, refactoring okay. tools, and things. So it's all the extra support on top. Got Visual it. Studio, okay. um, as opposed to CLine, which is our fully standalone uh, IDE. Okay, cool. And the one other thing that I, I did promise that I'd bring up when it came to it was the the CPPP, that's the, the Paris conference from earlier this year. Their videos are finally coming online. They're trickling through. So I'd say like one a week or, or less at the moment. So keep an eye on that, that channel. But if you're up there now, again, I'll put the link in the show notes. Okay. Okay. And did you want to talk about your uh, more productive with test-driven development, your blog post on, uh, on level of indirection? Yeah. Well, I, I thought I'd put this up because I've, I've been doing this course on TDD for a while now. And I say doing another, another one next week at the end of CPPCon. So there's still time to sign up for that. So I thought it'd just be worth just putting a, a post up about what I'm covering in that and, you know, what my perspective is on TDD and, and why I think it will make you more productive. So uh, I can put the link to that in the show notes as well, if you're interested. Um, if, you, if you can't make it to, to CPPCon for that, then I'll be doing it at other places as well, I'm sure. Cool. Well, I want to thank you guys for uh, joining us today. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. All right. Well, um, from uh, from really all over the world, we're representing um, uh, New York and and London and San Francisco and Denver, I guess here, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so from all over the world, we're uh, coming to you and wishing you all safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. <laughs>